0: All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellefson with the Digital Education Podcast, and today I'm with one of my great friends, uh, Lynn Swanner who is the chief strategy and innovation officer at ACSI. And prior to joining ACSI, she served as a graduate professor of education, academic researcher, and Christian school administrator. She is also a Cardiff senior fellow and the author and editor of multiple books. She's also my favorite New Yorker. If you ever need to be in New York and go around, unbelievable tours, unbelievable experience. Lynn, we miss being in New York this year, but today the reason we're together is to talk about your research on the flourishing schools and and really kind of some of the things that you've dug deep into of, of what makes a flourishing school. And so my question to start, and I know you'll share a little bit more about the research, is why do some schools flourish and some don't?
1: Eric, Thanks so much for having me. I can't tell you how badly I wish that we were in New York for this fall, but we'll we'll take a a giant rain check, just like the rest of the world is taking right now. Uh, But that's a that's a great question to start because it really leads into the reason behind the research. And that was to really move the conversation forward from what it usually is, which is, is a school flourishing or isn't it? And to actually broaden that conversation to ask, in what ways is a school flourishing? And in what ways is it not? And we tend to view school flourishing as a zero sum game. And frankly, here in the United States where we have uh, private schools, you know, that's how Christian schools are funded, we tend to judge whether a school is thriving by their enrollment or by their budget. And so, you know, you can have a very small school, say 50 students, and I've actually profiled a school up in New England, that's a high school. They have 50 students they are limited to that number because they have a project-based curriculum And their students and their faculty work in teams to address real world issues, and they can't even be accredited by any of the major accrediting associations because they have too many part time faculty because they have metallurgists and PR professionals and area doctors and they work with students and teams on their projects so numerically, you know it doesn't look like they're flourishing say compared to a school with over 1000 students, but in terms of the richness of the curriculum and the learning experience discipleship with students you know they're off the charts and so flourishing enables us to capture that and you know we need to look at sustainability of course and and our research shows very strong linkages with resources and stewardship and you and i are engaged in another project looking at sustainability that's a topic for another podcast but you know the value of thinking about flourishing in broad terms is that much like life and just like we teach our students there's a lot to be gained from looking at places where we're strong and we're thriving and figuring out how we got there and then applying those lessons and strategies to areas that we want to improve. So flourishing is like a heat map. It lets us see peaks, it lets us see valleys. And then we can actually learn from our strengths to make improvements versus just having a zero sum or exclusively a, a, a deficit minded approach. So I just, I'll just i talk for a couple of minutes just to share sort of the the, overview of what we did with the research. Um, and we'll get into findings right now, but just sort of the overview. Um, so we looked at a, a wide range of outcomes from the standpoint of student cal- outcomes very holistically. So yes, we looked at achievement data but also spiritual formation of current students, reports from alumni on their faith. And we also didn't just look at students. We looked at how our teachers flourishing, how our leaders flourishing. And so it's the largest study, certainly, that I'm aware of, of its kind in Christian schools. We had over 15,000 participants, and we really took an ecosystems approach. So in that 15,000, we had school leaders and administrators. We had board members, teachers, students, families, support staff, and also alumni. And that's Fairly unique when we look at research on Christian schools and schools in general who do like this ecosystems approach and so just very broadly what we found is that there are. Five domains in which schools flourish and across those domains there are 35 validated constructs that are correlated with flourishing outcomes and so those domains are. um, The first is purpose, which is all school constituents are committed to the central purposes of Christian education. These are things like an integrated Christian worldview, spiritual formation, holistic teaching, that family school partnership. The second domain is relationships. And so having these trust-filled, supportive, authentic relationships between not only all school constituencies, which is key, but also with the surrounding community. And so I think that's something we often don't focus on. Uh, But that's what the research showed. Uh, The third domain is teaching and learning, which is really that culture of learning for for students, yes, but also teachers, you know, that that educators are growing and being collaborative and students are highly engaged. The fourth is expertise and resources. And that, again, is the importance of excellence in school management, financial practices, long-term sustainability, having qualified staff. And the fifth domain is, is well-being. And I think this is the one that probably surprised us the most. I mean, this is this research is was conducted about two and a half years ago. So this is pre-COVID. And what we found is that for teachers and, and leaders, stress is a major factor with both groups being overwhelmed at fairly high rates. And of course, we can only imagine what that. Looks like now and and really what the research shows is that this is not a secondary issue. This is a primary issue in schools, we need to think about the adults in the building, as well as the well being of students and um, It's not something we can think about if or when we have time, but really it's tied to how well we actually care for students and how we fulfill our educational mission. So that's really the overview uh, of the
0: research and our flourishing well, what, uh, and and then as I was reading and digging deeper into the research, and maybe it goes with a little bit of that last point of well-being, but then also some of the resources. One of the statements in the and in, in the. Um, the report was at schools where teachers report being able to help students engage in their learning specifically to develop critical thinking and problem solving, the faculty turnover rate was significantly lower. So it, I, I don't necessarily think that's maybe a surprise per se that that turnover rate is lower at places that are, you know, healthier or doing well with student learning and, and, and engaging that. But what, did, did you find certain differences between schools that, you know, the, the faculty turnover rate was lower in regards to well-being and stress and just resources available for those teachers?
1: Yeah, so we're we're doing, it, I, this is what you just shared was one, of, I think, one of the more surprising findings in the research, and there's even more surprising ones that I can get into in a minute. Um, and by surprising, I mean sort of paradigm shifting about the way we think about teacher turnover and the way we think about even spiritual formation. But you know, we are, we did our primary analysis. Now we're doing secondary analysis. So we're looking at the relationship between specific constructs. So I anticipate that what your, the questions that you're asking will have better answers to over the next few months. But just, you know, off the bat, you know, really what this suggests is that instructional culture matters. And it matters not just for student learning, which is typically the way that we think about it, but it matters for teachers. Uh, and, and that's, and I know that sounds intuitive, but uh, usually we view instructional culture as a means to an end, which is student learning and 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 it's it's not it's actually looking at the whole school as having a learning culture and how the adults and the students engage and you know CS Lewis um, has this great. Quote that folks may be familiar with, uh, with uh, from God in the Dock, and he says, "You know, none can give to another who does not possess himself nothing which was not the teachers can flow from them into the pupils." And so, if our teachers aren't well, if they're not engaged collaborate, collaboratively learning, if there isn't a good culture, professional culture, you know, it's it's just not possible for us to then turn around and provide a rich experience for students. So. Um, you know, I think the one you identified is is huge, you know, certainly some of the things we would expect where there's a lack of resources teacher turnover is higher. Uh, there's also suggestion that we're, we're doing some secondary analysis on that there's a relationship between the amount of parent communication family communication and teacher turnover and that there's kind of the sweet spot, which is not too much and not too little. So we hope to have more information on that. But, um, You know, I think that was a that was a huge finding in terms of saying, "Wow, not what you would think." You know, I think when um, our leaders and when we say, "Okay, how do you improve a school?" You think about you know things like hiring better qualified teachers, and our research found that that does contribute to higher scores and uh, student physical well-being impacts test scores, and responsiveness to student learning's needs impacts test scores and um alumni feel their teachers when their teachers care about them they're more likely to report they're currently walking with god and i think that kind of stuff is like the bread and butter of how we think about christian school improvement but we miss the larger we miss some of these larger connections so if i could just share a couple more that were just fascinating in the research and these have to do with spiritual formation so we talked through the teacher turnover one so when we asked alumni about whether or not they're continuing to walk with God, and this is a broad smattering of alumni. So this is you know, all the school's alumni uh, were often included. Of course, not everybody responded, but we didn't control for for how long they'd been out of school. There were three things that were really significant and linked with their continuing to walk with God. The first is if their school leaders and administrators engage the surrounding community. The second is the school addressed the learning needs of students as well, and the third, uh, their teachers were oriented toward towards best practice. And none of those three inputs—so community engagement, meeting learning needs, and teachers' best practice orientation—I think are traditionally thought of ways to improve spiritual outcomes at Christian schools. You know, when we talk about how are we going to improve spiritual outcomes. I think we normally think about chapel, we think about our Bible curriculum, we think about, are we hiring teachers who can love and nurture students, and all those things are really important, but do we think about those three things? And, and I think, you know, we have to understand these a little bit better, but we have some hunches as to why this can happen. You know, the first is that these, these types of things have a significant positive effect on the school culture, right? But this, the second is it's really possible that these types of things demonstrate biblical principles and actions for students. So in other words, alumni whose schools and educators are engaging the community well, they're caring for students who are struggling, they're striving for excellence in all they do. Is it possible those alumni have witnessed powerful examples of Christlikeness and they're inspired to live out the gospel in their own lives. So that's a bigger question. And again, it and this is where the lens of flourishing and now enables us to go a bit deeper to try and understand what we're seeing in our schools.
0: Now, it's it's really interesting because like you get to it and there is a sense of flourishing that, that a high sense of quality and professionalism is part of it. I think one of the things that I was really interested to see is in, in that, you know, the, the three things that you were talking about there is, is the relationship between, you know, a stu- uh, alumni's spiritual kind of commitment and a leader's, you know, local engagement. And, and how often do we see school leaders who are very involved in their school and, 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 and then I always call it the turf under their feet. Um, what would you, you know, say to leaders and encourage leaders to say, Hey, get involved, you know, think broader than just your school. How would you push them in that sense?
1: Well, the first thing I'd say is looking at this research, I'm really glad you asked that question because to clarify, you know, we talk about the surrounding community. I've actually had this response is when I've shared this research at some schools, you know, I think the, the sort of old school way of thinking about it. And, and I mean that. in in that term is is the three-legged stool, right? So you've got school, you've got home, and you've got church. And so a lot of times when I say the surrounding community, people automatically think that that's the church. Now that that definitely is a key piece, Uh, but really what we're talking about here is, is, so this specific construct in the research talks about um, networking in the community being aware of community resources and critically working with other schools in the community of all different types. So Christian schools and and schools from other sectors. And so the way I talk about this with schools and with leaders is to say, hey, you know, let's, the school, the, 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 the stool worked really well for a while but let's think now about a table because, and it's got the four legs, it's got home, it's got church, it's got school and it's got community. Because, and here's the great thing about table, you know, you can make that thing as long as you want. Lots of people can sit at it. You know, a stool, only one person can sit. And, and, and supposedly, I would think that would be the student. When you expand the table, when you broaden the table, I think that that really is a great picture of the gospel, you know, having this open invitation. And so you asked about that sort of the philosophy, this, the specific things, you know, the research said, exactly what I mentioned, you know, build your networks in the community. Uh, could be with nonprofits, could be with uh, folks working in local government, you know, reach out, have those relationships, uh, really know where resources are in the community. We've seen this lately. We've actually seen this done well in a lot of our schools when it comes to school safety, you know, building these partnerships with local law enforcement agencies. You know, typically we have Good relationships with fire departments but what about other agencies you know what about other parts of local government uh you know i've heard of a school that worked with the local uh, highway department and had some service learning going with their students where they were doing you know traffic monitoring and stuff like that so that's a really great way to engage and then really you know we've got to break down the silos between our individual schools and other schools in the area. So how can you partner maybe for professional development or, you know, do a bit of an exchange between different departments uh, and, and that's breaking down that mindset of it's kind of us, you know, sort of insular against the world versus, you know how can we be, be open and be engaging our local
0: community in a better way. that's that's helpful um let me i've got like two questions on the top of my mind so i'm gonna ask this one first and then there's maybe a a second one on recommendations but i'll get to that in a second so as you start thinking about that uh, the question i'm wondering about and you mentioned that school of 50 at the beginning and then our friend, you know that we have you know together rex miller he always talks about find the bright spots in the dark places um what, what were some of, for, for Christian schools in particular, but then, you know, schools as they look at flourishing overall, what are some of the bright spots as we think about um, what you've discovered through this?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we did was with our, our school report, we, we developed a, a school report for each of the schools involved in the study. So we had um, about 65 schools that then led to the, the 15,000 that were in the sample, and we've since, you know, we've we've since doubled that number, and are continuing to do analysis, but um, doubled the number of schools, and it was a pretty diverse sample. But you know, what what the report does is it gives you five key strengths that are unique to the school, and also five key opportunities. And so when we look at the strengths, the bright spots, 88 um, percent of schools had holistic teaching as a strength. So that's not just teaching the mind, but also teaching the heart. And, and so I think that is pretty obvious that Christian schools are doing a good job at broadening the types of outcomes that they're looking for. Um, 73% had responsibility as a strength. And when I say holistic teaching responsibility, some of those are the constructs that were validated through the research. So responsibility is this shared sense of ownership among leaders and teachers, you know, we're responsible for the school. Uh, We're responsible for the mission uh, being carried out. And then the the half of schools, and then after that it it drops down significantly, but half of schools had God's story as a strength. And, And that requires a little explanation. You know, that was that students believe they are part of God's bigger plan and can be used by him to make a difference. And so I think whether we call that biblical worldview, whether we call that the narrative arc of scripture or Christian perspective, you know, our schools call that different things. But the research shows that at least half of our the schools in the sample have that as a major strength. Um, you could, you could flip that on the, on the other side and say, well, what's going on with the other half, but that doesn't mean it's not a strength of the other schools. It just means that that was in those, those top five. And I think that's really, really good news you know, especially because there's a diversity of students at these schools. You know, these schools were not all um, covenant schools. Some of them are, are have open admissions. And, and schools are really, at least from this research, doing a good job of helping students understand uh, that God has a plan and that they can be used in his redemptive work uh, in, their, in their studies, in their communities, and also in their future career and, and whatever God's calling them to do. So those are the bright spots.
0: So uh, I, I thought of something else too. So I keep thinking questions. We could probably go forever. Yeah. Um, so two more for me. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to flourishing or how does this change or how does this adjust or does it stay the same post COVID? right? We've been through an incredible time. I know you're digging deep into this in different ways and've you've, you've, you know you've talked about schools that are doing well. You know, but what what does it mean to flourish after COVID? You know, in a period of where I think we're just trying to survive in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, well, you know, this is sort of jumping over into some of the other other work that I've done. Uh, you know, we had two major COVID surveys that we did uh, with our membership. And they were huge. The first was like almost eight hundred schools. Uh, the second was uh, a, was a bit smaller. I think it was about five hundred, but. Um, you know, I can just share briefly what I, what I see that's emerging from, from that data. And I, I think your question is a good one. I think we're going to, we could very well see shifts in flourishing as a result. And I'm, I'm grateful we've got a number of schools reviewing or doing this for a second time, two years in a row. And we've got multiple ways of this data coming in from the flourishing schools culture instruments. So we'll be able to look at that in a, in a really tangible way over the coming year, but our other work, has really suggested that there's there's a few key places where Christian schools are thriving. Number one, uh, being nimble and responsive. And I think I think we've all seen that. You know, I mean, schools literally turn on a dime to uh, to to go to online instruction. I mean, I think something like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but something like 80% of schools uh, missed less than three instructional days, which is which is unbelievable if you really think about it. I think it's three to five I mean, that's that's wild, especially when we consider that most of those schools weren't even doing online instruction previously. We have data that shows that. Um, the other key piece is, and so we'll have to see how that nimbleness plays out. You know, I'm hoping that that will play out in a way that schools are thinking much more nimbly about their value proposition and about the families that they reach and about. The types of programs that they offer now that that hurdle of doing things online is removed. Um, I'm hoping they'll be thinking about that. There could be a lot of trial and error, you know, we're going to have to track that, but, um, but, but it's an, it is a new day in that sense. And then the other key thing is community. I mean, that was something that really, really stood out as a value of schools, as a value of families, you know just that the so the vast majority of schools were offering aid emergency aid um are they were receiving special donations and gifts from families trying to help other families that were struggling uh, just the um incredible ingenuity and imagination really of how to continue to cultivate community within that time and you know there's 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 Hundreds of examples that I could give that we collected both quantitative and qualitative data, but that community aspect combined with the desire to be and, and the capacity really developed overnight to be nimble and not just nimble, like let's throw something up there, but let's be, let's have as, as high a fidelity as we can to the level of instruction that we normally do. And our follow up survey showed that schools actually were going to improve on that that it wasn't just, okay, we're gonna just do what we did to survive. It's like, okay, we're not only going to survive, but we're looking at how we can thrive and how our students and our families can do. So I I mean, I know it's, this has been the most challenging time in leadership and teaching probably that our schools have ever experienced. But when you look at the data, um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of fruit that's gonna come out of this uh, in terms of sustainability, community, and just, really achieving uh, school's mission into the future, but we'll be tracking that for sure.
0: Oh, it's, it's amazing. So last question, because um, I get to, you know, I often talk to young leaders who are in this and sometimes they look at, you know, we, we, you and I now have been at this long enough to be able to point to places that have been successful or to tell those stories of that school of 50 that's being unique and purposeful in its design. What would you encourage young leaders um, as they step into leadership to, you know, maybe folk, you know, like what are maybe one or two things where it's like, hey, if you want to have an impact on creating a flourishing school and, 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 and impacting and moving these things forward, here's maybe a couple things that you can do that um, will have a, a significant impact.
1: So I, it's a great question. And I always go meta with this. So, you know, because I always think to myself, okay, what is the one thing that you could do that could then increase your, your ability to uh, lead your school purposefully or develop good relationships or you know, have uh, expertise that in your hiring and, 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 be wise with resources and cultivate well-being, right? So I'm looking across all those things and I'm saying, what's the one thing that I think you could do as as an emerging leader that would enable you to hit all those things? And I really think that the one thing you can do as, as a newer emerging leader is to set yourself up to learn. I really do. I think that is one of the linchpins, which is be learning, make sure you're growing, building your networks. And when you build networks, by the way, it's not just for your own development. The research clearly shows that's going to have a downstream implication on the spiritual formation of alumni, which is wild. And I think that's a that's a suggestion that what I'm talking about of, of setting yourself up so you can continue to learn and grow as a leader through networks um, and, and, and continually doing that that will actually impact your school all the way through to your alumni. So I think, um, you know, we we talk about, you know, certainly, you know, biblical worldview infusion, you know, having good relationships uh, with your families and with your teachers, you know, good financial stewardship and and good good planning. I mean, all the, that stuff is really, really important, but I think if you're a learner and you're networking with other people and you're constantly as a leader growing, you will hit those things along the way. If you're not constantly growing and you're not networking and you're not going to see schools that are doing things that are innovative or, or just downright strange, you know, you're, it, it, you know, compared to the norm, then you will, I think your ability to innovate, your ability to lead successfully in all those other areas will, will definitely be
0: hindered. Lynn, this is incredible. I know we could go on forever, but thank you for uh, sharing your research, your work, and and just your wisdom in this.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Eric. It's been a lot of fun as always.